The HouseGround.com Real Estate Show with Brian and Mackenzie Crabtree. It's always great to have you on the HouseDog.com Real Estate Show. My name is Brian Crabtree. I'm Mackenzie Crabtree. And we're going to be talking about a lot of the things that affect the value of your home, your investments in real estate, and ultimately the direction of the housing market, which is a big part of the overall gross domestic product in the country. Um, Before we get started, you and I will be out at the debate night on Monday and we want people to sign up at am920theanswer.com, biz1190.com. It's in uh, Woodstock, so it's a little bit of a journey for some, but right right out in the backyard for many. Um, we're going to watch the Falcons play the Saints on one TV, and hopefully on the larger TV, watch what could be bigger than MASH, the final episode. Right. Donald Trump versus Hillary in the first debate at Hofstra University. So that debate party is right here in in Metro Atlanta, you have to sign up for tickets. They are free, but that'll get you in the door. Space is limited, so please come out and join us. It's going to be as big as like one of these boxing matches, I think. Pay per view. Yeah, I don't know why they don't do HBO pay per view. There's a lot of stories out there too about if Donald Trump's elected, we'll go into a recession. If Hillary Clinton's elected, it it might be a little bit more muted, um, and and that's possible because you know Wall Street and purchasing and consumerism is driven to some degree by discounting confidence. So. If the confidence people have is growing, then we're not really discounting it. We're basically increasing our aspect or speculation of what values of an asset might be, housing or something uh, else like a stock. And if there is concern because there's an unknown, then asset prices could go down. So it it wouldn't surprise me if there was more of a stock market reaction negatively to Donald Trump than there is to Hillary Clinton. I think it'll be a quick rebound because I think that if that is the case, that he is president, we will see turnarounds like within the first week of policies and changing things and just, you know, you got a new boss in town. Overwhelming percentage of business people, small businesses, People who invest in, in housing and, and in, in stocks are, are conservative, especially at the mom and pop level, which is really sure. the engine of our co- country. Seventy percent of the uh, GDP is consumer driven sales and such. So if you have a negative event in the wake of Donald Trump, it will be the stock market being nervous more about the unknown. Right. But after six months of watching him and what I presume will be a very uh, orderly presidency, while he undoes a lot of the regulations and problems that are really holding back business, then you could have an expansion. By contrast, Hillary Clinton, something goes hand in hand with what we heard at church last weekend, where, where people uh, are always in a pursuit of happiness. And sometimes right. that pursuit of happiness gets in the way of their pursuit of the truth. So happiness you can have right now. If you pursue it right now, you can usually be happy for a moment. But the things you do to be happy right now may cause a lot of pain down the road. And so that's been one of the issues we have in the country. Hillary Clinton, I think, brings us that immediate. You kind of get what she's going to do. It's going to be more orderly. But then she has all of these policies that have this ripple effect and all of the liberal unintended consequences. And then down the road a year, we've got huge issues that we wouldn't have had with the the Trump presidency. And I I think that's really the choice. Do we want to long term stabilize the country or do we want a short term feel good for a few months because people can predict the establishment elitist, you know, mains, mainstay liberal versus someone who comes in as a bit of a bull in a china cabinet is going to disrupt some things so we can put it back together the right way. You right know, way. I have clients who are purchasing now and considering their closing date. You know, what happens if we do, you know, October 31st? What happens if we do after November 8th? 
And a lot of them are kind of like, should we go ahead and try to push this closing before the election so we know that we're going to get it closed? Because, again, it's an unknown. I, I just thought it was kind of interesting. Well, that's why they would and one delay the, their closing or speed it up. One, this thing's going to take shape after this debate Monday night, and a lot of people are going to start to get a better sense. In contrast, True. it's really easy to watch CNN or Fox News or read your news site. Um, you know, even mine, Talk40.com, which I'm the publisher of, is... Um, is you know it's, it's got conservative analysis so if you're looking for the 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 liberal side of it you have to go somewhere like huffington post and it's really easy when you're just in one space and not the other to get a, a skew and we don't we, it's not even we do it on purpose it's just skewed but when you're sitting there watching the two of them go at it then you can go i kind of feel it i kind of see it because the contrast is going to be so huge and no teleprompters yeah, that's going to be interesting. She's going to struggle with that. Now, he may struggle with it because he may get baited in They're They're going to work on oh, Monday I'm sure night. There's a whole bunch of trick questions. They're going to work on whether um, Lester Holt, who's the moderator, and I think he'll do a good job. But they're going to work on the Clinton campaign saying things that will bait him in. But the secret sauce now for Trump is Kellyanne Conway, right. which is this this wonderful manager that he's hired, which is just she's just she kept him in line impressive. She's keeping him in line. I thought Paul Manafort was good. I think Kelly Ann Conway she is turned it around magnificent. And, and, and you've got Trump leading in most of the polls. We just learned this past week that that all of the swing states that uh, could go either way are tied now. Clinton had been ahead two to seven or eight points in each of those. So this is going to be. Oh, it's really. nerve-wracking. I, I don't understand the people that say, I, I, I'd be so glad when this is over. This is more entertaining than the Kardashians. See, and I feel like I would be more uh, more settled once it's over because we'll have, like, an idea of which way we're going to go. Either yeah. either we're packing or we're unpacking. <laughs> I don't know if we're packing. I don't know where we'd go yet, but uh, it may get that way at some point for many. Uh, where's John Galt? Right. Uh, one of the things that I think is paramount for the next president, and I know what we'll get with Hillary Clinton, which is very little help, uh, because Hillary Clinton is funded by the big banks, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, Bank of America. Those types of big institutions are predominantly liberal. You didn't mention Wells Fargo. Is there a reason for that? Wells Fargo doesn't get as political. Um, I don't like Wells Fargo. I just didn't I would, think they were still on the list. I, I would throw them in the bag of scum, but I, I don't I don't think uh, Wells is, is as political. They're more straight and narrow in that regard. And I don't mean that in a positive way. They just don't get involved as much as the other banks. And so... Um, you know, the, those institutions are really the ones making making out on the Dodd-Frank high regulation regulations from the Obama administration, yeah. which Hillary Clinton presumably will continue and double down on. The people that are getting hurt are your local regional banks from the size up to maybe BB&T, maybe SunTrust, although they, those two probably are right at the fringe of where they're probably big enough they can they can take advantage of the Dodd-Frank regulations. But you get any smaller than that, say mm-hmm. Regions Bank uh, based over in Alabama. Uh, there's a charter bank here, Union Bank. Synovus. Uh, even Synovus is at a size where Bank of North Georgia, where they, um, they, they are getting more harmed by the regulations of Dodd-Frank and these, these Obama regulations mm-hmm. have been crammed down their throat. Wall Street Journal this past week had an article, banks are now too scared to even make money. It uh, subheadline there. Banks have become too regulated and too scared of the risks to do what they should be doing, greasing the flows of money between countries. Um, what this means is that they, in some cases, will put their money or get their money from ja- from Japan, as one example, mm-hmm. with negative interest rates, 
paying or putting the money over there, paying a fee for their money, and uh, it just to have it sitting there in order to, and I don't understand this totally, there's some trades and swaps that are going on, but they'll take negative-yielding Japanese T-bills in exchanges as opposed to having to deal with some of the United States regulations that they face here domestically. So they'll pay money to give money or to have money to go put money in a bank. See, some of these countries in Europe, Japan, they have negative interest rates, meaning that if you put money in the bank, you pay them to put the money there. Right. They don't pay you interest, you pay them. And that's kind of the, the nature of it. Here it's a quarter point, third of a point interest rates, what the Fed rate is. So it's a little above zero because they're afraid of what's going on with the regulatory system, even the big banks. But the, the, the thing that big banks have going for them is that they can, they can sort of uh, manipulate the system like Wells Fargo just did. They had that whole push toward opening fee accounts, getting right. fees. They got fined $185 million. And I would presume that very few people will do what I did and fire them and move on. Most people just stay there because it's too much trouble to change. You're kind of one of those people almost. I've I'm, had to drag you, drag you along to I've get you. I've opened new accounts, but I haven't closed old accounts it, it yet. Was, it was so. amazing. And, I, and I'm not doing this as a promo. I'm not getting paid for this. I have no advantage for saying this. I just I think it's a good thing to sometimes give you the other side. We, we spent over a month with Wells Fargo. And I would assume. We spent over a month trying to open a bank account a single one on a new llc for two different two different people in two different states right so we needed a signer in south carolina a signer in georgia and they would not allow the signer in south carolina to get on the account and it took a month to process this we already had an account open another account here in georgia Crazy. with just you you on it and right? i could have added myself but we couldn't get him added so and he needed to be the one writing checks and making deposits so um it was a it was a, a it wasn't even a loan. It was just an account. I, I just like wanted I was, to give them money. I felt like I had a million dollars in the bank and I was trying to get approved for a short sale. Right. Right. Like you, you would never hardly get approved for a short sale with any money in the bank. So I felt like I had a million dollars in the bank and I was trying to get them to approve me for a short sale. And they underwrote our checking account that way. This went on for a month. Yes. And then they had a problem once they got through all the red tape with, I assume that was the last bit. Well, we don't like your address. And we've talked about this. Right. My address, what's wrong with that? Well, it's a, it's a virtual address. Not really. It's an office I sublease out of a, of a Regis center. So it's a virtual address in the context of the U.S. mail system, but it's not virtual when I'm sitting in it. So I decided to change. So I called up Synovus. I, I have, we have, you and me both have our retirement with Synovus and Northwestern Mutual. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of a package, two different situations. And I called up my guy at Synovus. I said, listen, since you have a branch of not Bank of North Georgia, but a Synovus branch in South Carolina, why don't you help help us out here and tell us if you can accommodate? He said, absolutely. We'd love to have all your business in that regard. So you and I walk into the bank. The worst mm-hmm. part of it is I was 20 minutes late. We met Kelly Green. Right. And at the Buckhead branch of Bank of North Georgia, I'm 20 minutes late, which is probably frustrating because I, I don't like to be late for people, but I couldn't get there. And as soon as I walk in, the paperwork's put right in front of me with little tabs, sign here, sign here, sign here. Like five minutes, I'm done signing, and we have all these accounts open, and it's all poof. And they were like, oh, yeah, we'll just email him the documents, and he can FedEx them back, and we'll be good to go. He can scan us one, and we'll get it open. As long as we get the originals back, we'll be fine. I'm like, I wish you hadn't said it was that easy, because I at least wanted to feel like it was not completely the incompetence of Wells Fargo. But it was. And so I, I think the point of it is is that, I think Americans, in regards to housing and mortgage and banking and buying cars... You think and, everybody makes it more difficult than it is? Well, we have empowered big, bad corporations at all levels of our financial lives to to over 
overrun us with red tape and bureaucracy. The reason now, if there's an excuse for them, they're so afraid the government's going to sue them. And the bigger they are, the more red tape they've got to create. Mm -hmm. But then they don't empower their employees to make reasonable judgment calls because of the risk inherent in that. Corporate. Corporate, top-down management. And it's destroying our country. It's making people like me angry. Because every time I go to do something with my own assets, I have to fight to use my own assets the way I want to use them, Not if I'm, even if I'm not getting a loan. And that's infiltrating the real estate space as big as any. And it's making real estate a volatile, angry, resentful business. Agents, uh, the, the cultural changes, uh, that aside, but the stuff we have to go through, the stuff our clients and our customers have to go through just to do a transaction is ultimately all a result of Dodd-Frank and the regulations of the Obama administration. So, you, you know, we will not have, again, the same type of collapse we had with the mortgage business because you, you don't see the same event twice, but the government's always fighting the last battle. And in doing so, they've clamped down on everyone. And that's, I think, one of the biggest benefits to a Trump presidency because ultimately real estate intersects banking every single day on multiple occasions. And if Trump's president, he's going to get rid of that garbage. I mean, it, I have to be excited if Trump is president because he is in the real estate business. So you know that some of the first things he's going to do is make sure that we're good to go. You mentioned Wells Fargo. I'll throw this out and move on um, anytime I can get in a jab. Um, <laughs> Wells Fargo now under investigation by the Fed. I guess that's the FBI and the U.S. House of Representatives. They're seeking interviews in the House of Representatives with several bank executives in the wake of their $185 million fine. This was systematic and cultural chaos inside Bank uh, Wells Fargo Bank. 5,300 staffers is now the number that have been fired for illegal credit cards. One and a half million deposit accounts, almost 600,000 credit card accounts. And the bank could not honestly rule out on those the possibility all of those accounts were completely unauthorized, opened by local branch people to meet their quotas for their sales bonuses and or the ability to keep their job. I just shake my head. I'm just like, what were they thinking? Does it it give you one ounce of surprise if you had heard Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan, or Bank of America, and I'm not trying to lump all them in because I don't presume to know they have this going on, but did it surprise you at all? Was I surprised? Yeah, that this was going on. After our one-month endeavor with them? Yeah, because... I I knew that something was up. That's what triggered all of that. And so we got punished as customers. Because of... I think that they were so so into... Like, their scrutiny level was so high that they had to make sure that we were, like, 115%. Like, they had to come to the house address that was listed on there because they wanted to make sure we were living there. That... I mean, like that high of scrutiny. But, that, but that's the way everything has gotten. Everything has gotten that difficult in the financial world, unless you're dealing with someone who is more in an executive level and you're higher net worth and you can demand certain types of, of conveniences that are not typical in the cram down policies of the big financial institutions. You know what I've decided? What? Whether it's buying appliances, because I'm tired of arguing with the big, uh, the big blue one about when to deliver something and how it's got to be delivered, the big blue appliance store and home improvement store. I guess you're uh, going orange then, huh? Yeah, I'm going to try orange. I don't know if it'll be any better, but I'll try. It's a local company, too, even though it's massive. Um, I mean, they tried to, to charge us $180 to install a stove in our condo because the condo complex charges them a fee to do it. Right. I said, you know, it's funny. Um, you're lying. Liar. 
No, I'm not paying the fee. We'll split it in half with you. No, I'm not paying the fee. I've already checked out. The, the but point is, is that is that the company or is that the subs or the, the, uh, it's, the it's people that they're ivory tower top down management? And what I've decided is I'm going to start going. Even if I have to pay more, now I'm not going to pay twenty percent more, five, six, seven, eight percent more. I'm going to start doing business with smaller car lots, smaller appliance stores, smaller home improvement stores, mom and pop uh, shops, smaller contractors, because I am sick and tired of empowering big evil businesses to screw me over at every walk of life. And I encourage our audience to do the same in most cases. Speaking of getting screwed over, when we come Uh, back, I want to tell you what happened to me. You you got screwed over again this week? Twice. Twice. All right. That when we come back, plus Airbnb thought about having a vacation rental. It affects your your financing and your property in a big way. We'll explain this as the HouseDog.com real estate show continues. Don't go away. The HouseDog.com Real Estate Show with Brian and Mackenzie Crabtree. Always good to have you listening to us. HouseDog.com is, in fact, our website where you can learn more about selling your home in Metro Atlanta or anywhere in the United States. The selling tab applies anywhere you sell a home, and I want you to hear it and see it and watch it. There's video, there's audio, and there's information there. I want you to spend 20 minutes on that to save yourself thousands of dollars, and you'll never have to contact us in order to get that advantage. HouseDog.com Selling Tab. Don't ever have to do business with us to access that data and help yourself in the selling process. Now, if you decide you want to buy or sell with our team, we've got uh, a great team set up. Uh, I'm very intimately involved with it, whether you're working directly with me, directly with McKenzie, or one of our staff members and team members. And uh, by the way, you can sell your home for 2.4% commission. That's 2.4 on the list side to sell your home and save thousands in Metro Atlanta. You're selling somewhere else in the U.S. We've got a great network of brokers. We, we can do. refer you to someone uh, that thinks and does business our way. Um, you um, I sat we, down for closing on Wednesday. Well, we're going to get to that one in a minute. Oh, you is that, the, that, is that the one you get screwed over on? In the interest of time, we got a hard break okay. coming up in a few minutes, so I, I, I want to give that one some time. This is a, a very quintessential story you're going to tell okay. about what happens in housing this day and age, and really how it impacts the consumer in a very negative Everybody way. Everybody lost. Yeah, everybody and did. everybody lose, seller and buyer. But uh, I think we've resurrected it. Yes. I had to step in and be a jackass. Yes. But, yeah, but um, if I have Clean to do up that, on aisle six. If I have to step in and be a donkey to help out a client, that's what I have to do. But first, we'll get to that in a minute. Airbnb. You're familiar with this, right? Yes. This is where, and I, I did this for the first time. It, I was nervous about it. It was a I was nervous for four you. or five-day <laughs> rental in Cleveland when I went up there to cover it the Republican. Brilliant. Republican convention because they stuck us out in Akron about an hour and a half away by by traffic and all all of that during the convention week to get through the barricades and everything. I'm like, there's no way. And I told the RNC, I said, listen, I maybe you didn't get the memo, but I did. The the conventions in Cleveland, not right. Akron. I realize I'm a peon in the media, along with all the other. I mean, even Fox News people got stuck out there. So the hell if I'm going to get stuck. That was in, amazing. You, know, in the you were like. Down, I'm like, well, you're like next door or why don't, something? Why don't you give, uh, why don't you give your, the room that's for me to Sean Hannity or somebody right. and, and, and see how that goes. And so anyway, I got with this Airbnb uh, a girl, and she seemed really nice, and I never met her or anything. And I rented her place right next to the Georgia and South Carolina delegation. And they had the Holiday Inn Express, and we had the condo building, which shared a lobby. Very nice building. It was one of these old bank buildings uh-huh. from the 1950s they converted. Cool. And um, a great little, you know... Uh, loft in downtown Cleveland. Basically, if not for the building in front of me, you could see the queue across the street wow. one block over. So I was able to walk right over 
uh, during this convention. So Airbnb is a big deal. They've got like 1.2 million property owners throughout the world, I think it is, maybe more than that by now, that will put their place up for various events and lease it out weekly, monthly, and whatever. A lot of homeowners associations don't like this. A lot of various different uh, municipalities are, are because the hotel lobby probably pushes on them because their lo- hotels are losing business over it. 20 and, years ago, we used to do this in Augusta, Georgia for the Masters. We didn't call it Airbnb. We you, said You just advertised we it said, in the paper. We said, rent the house right. for $15,000 and magically you'll have Masters badges, you know, sitting in the kitchen table. Right. And and you were able to pay your whole mortgage for the year oh my for gosh. one week. Yeah. So that's sort And of take a thought. vacation. And that's kind of, I mean, my, my little loft, uh, you know, next to a hotel that normally is $89 or $110 a night was, you know, I think it was 500 bucks right. a night, you know. But the problem is now if people use Airbnb, the mortgage companies are starting to, for their home equity lines of credit um, or even their primary mortgage, to say, no, thank you. We want nothing to do with this sort of property because they consider it high risk once you go to Airbnb. So you've got municipalities, you've got the hotel lobby, now you've got mortgage business and banks attacking Airbnb because it's disruptive to their normal way of business. I don't think it's as much about the risk. I don't know how. I guess it's presumed that... I mean, the owner still owes the money for the mortgage. You either qualify or you don't. We've started underwriting the asset and not underwriting the ability of the borrower to pay back and the and the borrower's credit rating. Yeah. And that's ultimately what you are going to tell us about yes. in just a moment as we continue is that it's not even the asset. It's the neighborhood that the asset resides in. Now the banks and the environment in in real estate has gotten so toxic that they're underwriting the asset more than they are the people in some cases. We'll explain this. It's very important if you're a homeowner and investor to hear this as the HouseDog.com real estate show continues. The HouseDog.com real, house house real estate show with Brian and Mackenzie Crabtree. All right, HouseDog.com, 2.4% commission to sell your home in Metro Atlanta. Now, if you're outside of the Metro Atlanta area, like in Wyoming, uh, we can put you through our <laughs> network. And, uh, you know, people listen from California to Washington to this show. I have a lot of fans. What can I say? Um, you do. I'm you just do. Teasing. You're very popular. Yeah. And so a lot of people, uh, you know, listen, we can help you anywhere in the United States. You know, and, and generally speaking, we get great feedback when we refer out because I take, I mean, I take a lot of precautions and I know being oh, the business. Oh, we have the best of the best. You take a lot of precautions as to who you're going to refer someone to because if I refer someone to an agent and they don't do a good job, then it looks and reflects poorly on me. Yeah. I'd rather not make the referral and keep that client. No, I mean, our group is like the, the top 1% yeah. of the country. So absolutely. So you had a, uh, this was mercy. last week, not, not, not this past no. week. We just came through. But last week, you had a situation on a closing where really, to the for the most part, everyone showed up. And were you at closing? Okay, or so on we, the way we or? were we were uh, twenty four hours before closing. So the seller had already signed their documents. Her documents. Oh, so and she so, had signed and left right. town, and so, and the whole thing just blew up like an atomic bomb. Oh my gosh, it was bad. So you know, we're doing um, we're going through all the documents. The attorney says, hey. Heads up, we have a uh, we have litigation in here. I just got the condo questionnaire back. We reviewed this, and so she wanted to know if the um, so you thought company, you had sold the one condo complex in Atlanta without litigation, right? Especially right? in Cobb County, yeah. Um, well, they all do, right? And they're like all to um, some degree they right. have had or or have or will have the exactly qu- question about litigation in condos is not uh, has it ever or no. will ever ever have, but when you yeah, know. And, and when will it be done? So. 
it turned into this big thing where the mortgage company, the day of closing, said, you know, I can't get in touch with the attorney um, that's representing the HOA. I can't get any information. We have to cancel the deal. And so I was like, oh, my gosh. So the agent on the other side is like, well, we want our earnest money. And like everybody lost. The seller had moved out. My buyers are homeless. I didn't get to close. She didn't get to close. The attorney already did the title work. The poor um, mortgage company went through this whole thing, day of closing, it's done. So nobody won. Well, and, and by the way, because I had to get involved this past weekend uh, due to one particular person in the mix, but the the, We're all good the appraiser, the mortgage company, the closing attorney, the buyer, and the seller were all very reasonable people, right? Yes. That, that you have all these people who were... But there was no heads up to the last Very second. reasonable. And, and, and it's no one's fault because this is what happens is, is that... Now, you did have a little bit of mistake on the seller and certainly on the on the seller's agent where there was a non-disclosure of this litigation. It said no. And they honestly a- didn't know because what we had found out now is the litigation was back from 2006 mm-hmm. where there were um, a lot of homes along the river on Cobb oh, County. Oh, this is even better than the situation. Oh, yeah. So it's like all of these homes got all together and have like this huge blanket lawsuit and sued everybody on the top of the hill. There's like so all, nine HOAs up there. So there's like nine apartment right. Yeah. Condo, yeah. He, homeowner complexes yeah. up there. If you're a half and, a mile north, you got sued. And so down the hill, there was a drainage issue with the right. homes down at the bottom of the hill. And like they, decided, they decided to sue. And this thing's been hung up for a while. And it's just been sitting there. And it's not really been a big factor. You know, if you take a 30,000-foot view of that one, though, can you think of the lunacy of a group of people at the bottom of a hill suing because water yeah. water runs downhill? I mean, did they not get that lesson about gravity somewhere in like fifth grade uh, science that, like that. It, the gravity would cause water to run downhill? So if you build a house down at the bottom of the hill, that you're probably going to get more water at the bottom of the hill than you will at the top of the hill. Is that am I off a little bit? Is that kind of uh, some liberals might understand that they might think that water runs uphill but i here I, we are though i don't understand that that's okay, a stupid that was just part one. okay okay so the seller did not know anything about this because they've had the same hoa she's been there since like 82 they've had the same hoa like the whole time and nobody's like homeowners ever association right, i'm sorry right, homeowners yeah. association so what uh, what happened here is within the past two years i'm not sure why but somebody has now countersued cobb county the whole entire county of yeah, cobb. good luck with that saying that they are responsible for drainage issues and why that comes up like 10 years later, I don't know, eight years later. So so we don't know that the Homeowners Association never informed the homeowners of this? You know, maybe they got a letter. I don't know. Stop on that because we got into it. If I know that, okay, in, in 2006 there was a lawsuit, right. okay, and nobody has done anything, it's been 10 years, and I kind of just go on my way. And then I get this other letter that says, oh, we've got a counter lawsuit. And maybe that's not like the first thing on her mind. She's an elderly woman. She's had a lot of issues, you know, like family. So she's I, moving I, out. I, I get it. I, I get it. I but, just, do but you see, read every piece of mail that comes n- in yes, from your HOA uh, unfortunately, anyway? Unfortunately, yes. Come on. Oh, freaking unfortunately, yes. The, because, see, but, but if this it is, said, she thought it was is, the same thing, though. This is the, I mean, you represent the buyer here. So it, it, here's the thing. When, when you are a homeowner in a homeowner's association and there has been public information distributed to you, whether you read it or not, whether you received it or not, it doesn't matter, about what's happening in your homeowner's association and it can materially affect the value of the property or the financing possibilities on the property 
and you fill out that seller's disclosure and you check the box, no, there's no litigation, then you are representing to a potential buyer there is absolutely nothing going on with regard to litigation in the neighborhood. Now, if the Homeowners Association had privately and quietly filed a lawsuit. And that may be the case, okay, too. I and still no one don't received know. a letter that, that you couldn't you couldn't be expected to know. But you it's the it's seller beware with these sellers disclosures. I've told people over the years that I've listed homes for hundreds, if not a couple thousand times. I've said, if you don't know what kind of air conditioning or heat pump you have or don't check heat pump because you think it's a heat pump when it it could be a furnace because I can guarantee you if that's important to the buyer, you'll be putting in whatever you checked and you won't have a leg to stand on when it comes to because you've misrepresented something as if though you were telling them this is what it is. That's why I hate the seller's disclosure law. I think it's ridiculous. It should be buyer beware and it should be a law that says if I'm aware of anything with the property, I have to disclose it. OK, I don't think it has improved things one iota. All it's done is, is, is made the typical idiotic agent out there assume that if they get their little hands on the seller's disclosure, right. that that somehow that that's accurate and that it's it's going to it's 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 going to represent everything and they are safe. It's more about protecting the agent than keeping the public informed. And I don't like things in our business that are inherently about protecting the agent. And here's why. Because I believe I can protect myself in a transaction. I don't like the business, whether it be the Georgia Real Estate Commission or more more likely the Association of Realtors who pushes these things, creating policies to dumb it down for the dumb agents that don't don't study, don't show up, don't know what they're doing. And that's ultimately what it is, which then creates a culture of apathy in the business. So it, it to me, if I'm buying a house or a condo, I think this, the, 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 the culture ought to be that the buyer hasn't, doesn't have this form and doesn't rely on it, and they just go and check on things themselves, not the agent, the buyer, because I don't want some agent, if I'm buying or selling something, telling me what I'm supposed to know. So the culture is messed up in this business because it should be buyer investigate during the due diligence period because we don't inherently investigate anything because you can't get information out of people anymore because we, we've got all these privacy laws. It's, it's, big, it's a big mess. And, and so sellers commonly just check things on these boxes and then agents assume they're accurate. And I, I'm not blaming that on you here. Well, here's the thing. There are you, some lenders who will lend on it. There are pending sales. There's in quite this, a few. Yeah. And there's pending sales that are like closing this week in the neighborhood. So, you know, sometimes it's just a Fannie Mae restriction or a Freddie Mac restriction. So maybe you just don't use that one mortgage company, you use somebody else. And so that's actually what we've decided to do is just kind of go in a different direction and still continue because they really want it, um, you know, and then and kind of just face it head on and see what happens in four or five years. There's no rental restrictions. So we'll see where we are. These restrictions of these mortgage companies in the wake of the Great Recession, they're getting worse and worse. Now, it, it's, it, the buyers, in some cases, if it's a non-government backed alone right. are finding some programs easier. The interest right. rate's just higher. So you've got some Alt-A or almost a subprime and you know why stuff that coming is? back. You have the, these big banks with Bank of America, et cetera. They go ahead and package up their loans and sell them, right? right? And you got to have, so, you got to conform to sell right. them. Right. So if you have a smaller mortgage company or like a credit union, they go out and they have their own loans and then they service them and they keep them in house. And so as long as they're keeping them for the life of the bank, they can be a little more flexible, but sometimes in many cases, those are more expensive. So most people try to go to the bigger banks, the bigger mortgage companies 
uh, such as we have brightpath.com as mm-hmm. one of our sponsors and they're big big mortgage company here in Atlanta because they're able to provide really through the uh, conforming process the absolute best prices you'll find on loans and and so um, but, but the net of this all is that we've got so many problems with the government's intervention into really underwriting the asset more than the borrower. I don't understand unless, you know, to some extent you can underwrite the asset. If you've got a condo complex that 30 percent of the people in there are delinquent and it's really, really, really in bad shape uh, as far as the repair situation, then I can understand underwriting the asset to that point. But if, if Joe Blow is suing Sue Smith and Sue Smith suing the Homeowners Association over a dispute over a $50,000 item, that should not affect you know, Bob's ability to, to sell his unit yeah. and Sue's ability to buy it and get, it's just stupid. And you've got it to the point now at some points, like our building, which is a high rise in Buckhead that where we live, they have just decided, which shocked me at first, they have decided not to seek a, a uh, extension of the FHA approval because some of the things that FHA requires them to do in managing the homeowners association does not make good sense mm-hmm. for the for the future of the and the strength of the homeowners association. I don't know all those details, but I was talking with our board president. He says some of the stuff we've got to do is just not good for the residents. It might be good for FHA buyers, but then we're we're capitulating the whole building and letting FHA run our building because if we want to run it the way we think is best and that we think the homeowners will like best, we can't necessarily keep our FHA approval. So it's a business decision to say take a hike, at least for the time being, which is affecting buyers who want to buy something and it's pricing them out of the Especially, market. Especially, you know, the, the lower priced properties and the people who need FHA. Sure. Yeah, because the government in every regard is just stepping in it and stepping in the way of the financing side of the, of the housing business. And it's really, I can't wait. Till it hopefully ends, and I think it can with the rollback of of, uh, uh, of regulations. And as we talked at the beginning of the show, I think it's going to take a Trump presidency who understands the way this stuff trickles who en- down. Who understands real estate? Yeah, to fix it. I, th- I, you know, but it's not just real estate. It's it's everything you go to do um, with lending, except the auto industry, mm-hmm. which is the one business that's behaving like the housing business and the mortgage business was back in. 2004 and right. 2005, and their right. delinquency rates are going sky high. Some of them are in the 5 6% range, which is unsustainable. Never learn, I guess. You know, 0% uh-huh. buy a Ford truck, 72 months I saw the other day. And somebody comes in with a 620 credit score. I mean, you know, sure, Ford's subsidizing that up front, but that doesn't make sense. I know. I saw you eyeing the trucks. Yeah, I was looking going, wow. <laughs> I don't believe in loans, but heck, for 0 for 72 months, I mean, that's a, that's a small payment. And I'm sitting here going, you know. That, I mean, no. that asset's declining for sure, right? Yeah, and I'm not yeah. beating up Ford at all. That asset's declining for sure, and they're going to give me 0% for 72 months, and I could probably have crappy credit and get that. But I've got a 780 credit score. I make twice as much as I need to to afford the monthly payments, and I want to go buy a condo where there's a couple of lawsuits going on, maybe a piece of rotten wood on the eaves, and the bank won't lend the money to me. I know. Makes no sense whatsoever, and it's because Dodd-Frank clamps down the mortgage business but has no impact on the auto business, and that's going to be the next uh, shoe to drop. Yeah, it's on the way. Coming up next, private property rights or not. Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg was denied zoning to allow him to tear down a couple of homes on neighboring properties he had purchased because Mm. he wanted to build a wall. He's against Trump's wall, but for him personally, he wants to build a wall. Should he have been allowed to tear down houses that he now owns and build a wall? That coming up as the HouseDog.com Real Estate Show continues. The HouseDog.com Real Estate Show. 
The HouseGuy.com Real Estate Show with Brian and Mackenzie Crabtree. Always talking real estate, Saturdays, 9 a.m. on AM 920, The Answer. Sundays at 10 a.m. on Biz 1190 right here in Metro Atlanta. And by the way, you can check us out on your HD radio, 10 a.m. on Saturdays at 104.7 HD 3 channel, which is also Biz 1190. So a lot of ways to check it out. HouseDog.com, anytime, 24-7. Usually by Monday or Tuesday, we put up the, the post from the previous weekend's programs at HouseDog.com radio show tab. And also check our selling tab for more details on how to avoid common mistakes in selling your home and make sure you make the most money possible. If you don't view it, watch it, and read it, all three, about 20 minutes of your time before you put your home on the market, you are subjecting yourself to more risk than you should because we're really unpacking the pitfalls of today's real estate market. 2.4% commissions the cost if you decide to use this, to use our data on there for free, then shame on you. No, just kidding. It's it's no obligation. <laughs> HouseDog.com, click on... Uh, Selling at the top of the page. Facebook founder uh, Mark Zuckerberg, McKenzie, out in Palo Alto, California. So set up the scene for me. He owns a house. He, he owns a house. the homes around him. And um, let me describe it for our listeners, too. So this is a, a very posh area, multi-billionaire founder of Facebook. He owns a home on, I don't know, probably two acres, three acres. And around his home, he bought one two, three other homes. So he would have the equivalent of maybe a small city block in this residential area. And these were probably two and three and four million dollar homes or higher that he bought. So he bought up everything around him. So he's got one, two, three, four homes total. And so uh, this is on Hamilton Street on one end and Edgewood Street. So it goes from one side to the other. It makes a big square. And I'm just, I don't know the number, but let's just say it's four or five acres altogether. And so he decided that he wanted to get a permit you got to get a permit to walk down the street in California. So you had to get a permit to tear down the other three homes because he wanted mm-hmm. to use the land um, where these homes are as part of his property. So he filed this application with city planners in May. There were four homes, actually, not three. So he wanted to tear down four of the five. And he wanted to rebuild them as smaller single-family homes that will take up 20% of the current footprint without a clear view into his home. Okay. So I guess he was trying to take some of the land so he'd have more space, and then he could control people being able to see his home. I think the ultimate goal was to get his home to where he couldn't be seen from the street, and he could build a wall around it and fence it off like he did in Hawaii. Why didn't he just purchase those homes? And kind of change them around a little bit and then offer them as rentals. By the way, I was way off on the number. $30 million he spent snatching up these four houses. So He likes his privacy. Well, I don't think he wants to rent them. I, I think he maybe have a well, guest house. he doesn't house. have to rent them. Well, He would just have them as well, I mean, rentals. Okay, so you know, first world problems of a billionaire. Let's, let's step back for a second. So let's say that you are this very popular person like a Donald Trump or Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates someone like that you know even a sean hannity a mm-hmm. glenn beck or bill o'reilly right so you you have a different life that is inherent of being so prominent in media all over the world and so people perhaps would want to harm you crazy people steal your children steal your children try to get close to you trying to you know try to sneak on your property to try to get access because you're you know you've got the next big idea and they you know you want to get to them so you're always being bothered mm-hmm. not by fans or by people who admire you but, neighbors but more so by people who, who want to take advantage take maybe. advantage yeah, of you yeah, right yeah. 
And now, again, I realize this is first world problems of a billionaire, but it's fair to bring this up. So someone could rent or buy one of the homes around there, more likely lease it and do it just so they could get proximity to you. So if you if you're worth several billion dollars, it makes sense that you'd spend $30 million to buy space around you to keep yourself from being anywhere near where people could get close to you and invade your privacy, and and you're trying to get as normal to a life as you can. The only problem someone like me has with this is not that he does this, is that he preaches to us and to Trump and, Mm -hmm. you know, don't build a wall to keep us safe as a country, but yet then he wants to build a wall literally around his home. The hypocrisy And there's a huge hypocrisy. I don't mind that he wants to do this. I mind that he wants to do it for himself because of his prominence, but the rest of us are just peons. We don't deserve to have the same safety as a whole nation. I, I don't. I, I don't get that. You. So, so but back to the real issue here, Mackenzie. The city of Palo Alto actually declined on this and said you can't do it. You're going to have to keep the homes the way they are, and I'm sure he's going to have to keep them up and in good repair because they were worried first and foremost about keeping the size of the homes and the value of homes, and if he turned it into more land driven than house driven. Then, of course, what happens they don't there, get the property taxes. They, there's a lowering of property taxes. That's the way they That's said the it. That's the whole reason. But and I realize that it's the highest and best use. But if the highest and best use of this area is a residential a dwelling and it's going and, and you want to tear down a mansion and put a nice little cottage on it, the city of any city or state in the country, as long as it meets building code, should have no business whatsoever telling you what you can do. You ran into a situation in a different state with a property you're managing this week where you turn on water they want a business license they wanted you to apply for a business license to turn on the water but not only for for a house you're managing okay i'm I'm the real estate broker so the property has an owner so the owner is not a person it's actually it's an investor they want them to have a business the bank investor needs a business license the actual person to come in and clean you know mary maids needs a business license in this city and then i as the real estate broker you know, what if I was just doing this as a favor, just, you know, an out-of-town client? Yeah, I'll, I'll get the water turned on so you can get Mary Maids in there to clean. So for a $200 cleaning job at most, you have oh to my buy God, it's like 300 six, bucks. Six, three to $600 in business yeah. licenses. That's uh, why we left the godforsaken place. Sell it as is. That's to be full disclosure. It's been one of the cities in South Carolina that's notorious for stuff, and I've owned property in that particular city for couple of dozen years almost and i mean who needs water right i had a uh i had a property in a city in south carolina you and i did right and last year about may i got a call threatening to find me and and uh it was over the fact that i was leasing it as a, as a business condo and i was leasing it to a property management company through my own property management company not that i own but someone else does who has a business license and they wanted me as the wasn't owner wasn't enough Right. To apply and spend two or three hundred dollars on a business license, so I could lease the condo, I sold the damn thing. I said, I've, "It's <laughs> fine. Here's your damn fee, and I'll never come back and invest here." And when your property values go down, and and uh, because you're you're harassing people who are just trying to make a buck and owning real estate, that's not a business. Owning a piece of property and leasing it out is not a freaking business. But the cities are turning. Real estate, any investing. money, that, I mean, garage sales. I'm the, waiting for lemonade stands. The, the, well, yeah, some of there's been stories about how lemonade stands have been shut down by the city code people and the police because it's an illegal business for a kid to open a business and just do it on the weekend. You know, that's insane. 
because they're so desperate for money because they can't manage the money. They want to take everybody else's. And this is what I talk about when we have tax conversations and liberals push back and go, tax rates are about as low as they've ever been. Well, yeah, when we had a 50 to 90 percent tax rate at the top end in this country, we didn't have all of these ancillary fees. That was your permit. That was your business permit. I mean, not exactly, but that there's so many fees. They get you coming and going. We're out of time. I wish we had more to elaborate on that but that's a that's a part of this bureaucratic business just another day government we have taxes 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 housedog.com will unpack it for you in the housing business and help you get through it go there and reach out to us have a great weekend